Forms is a young man who has great taste. <laughs> In women. <laughs> and if you're offended, let me quickly say he's my son-in-law. But uh, Andy is a, is a fantastic young man. And I am, I am proud to be able to call him my son-in-law. But I am proud to be able to call him my brother in Christ because Andy's ministries have been ministries that have lifted up Jesus and drawn people to Jesus. And his leadership at Ozark, uh, his leadership in the, in the dorms among the young men that are there. He's also a soccer coach. He understands how you score in soccer. I don't understand anything about that. I was very surprised when I found out that some of the positions they actually had on, on a soccer team. They, they sound like football, but it's not football. <laughs> it's not. But Andy is a coach as well, and uh, I'm looking forward to him being able to share with you today. I do want to remind you, please find the communication card that is in your bulletin and fill that out at the end of our service when the offering is passed. Uh, please use that means to communicate with us, that connect card that is there in your bulletin and uh, place that uh, in the tray as it goes by. And so now, Andy, let me just turn it over to you, brother. Thank you for coming. <laughs> you bet. My pleasure. Thank you for saying nice things, too. You never know um, what you're going to get with Dave. So. <laughs> I told him I saw his name on that ballot down there, so my vote depended on how he introduced me. So. Uh, I am very happy to be here. I agree that I have great taste in women. Um, super excited to be married to Amy, Dave and Roseanne's Dunson, and uh, Dave and Roseanne's daughter, Dunson, daughter. Uh, as a matter of fact, we celebrated our 21st anniversary on the 21st. Um, so we just celebrated anniversary, so that's right, I know. Uh, 21 years ago, last week, I stood about right here, uh, and Dave stood about right here, and cried part of the time in between. Um, actually, Brian stood down here a little bit. He was uh, one of the groomsmen in my wedding. We've been friends for a long time. Um, but Highland Park goes a long way back in, in my story. And I don't know about you, but I like to hear little bits about people's stories and how they got to be where they are and who they are and, and why they uh, are at this point in their life. And Highland Park has been a big part of that for me. Um, my, my wife and I, Amy and I, have enjoyed, I don't know if anybody ever seen the show, Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, it's on TLC uh, Network. It's that kind of genealogy show. So they get celebrities, famous people, and then they unpack for them their genealogy. Um, they look back at their grandparents and great-grandparents and, and where they lived, where they came from, what other countries and continents they originated their heritages from. And it's just super fascinating, and I'm sure the producers have done all the work ahead of time, so it's not like it's a surprise to them, but it's a surprise to us to learn how these famous people, I mean, some of the ones that uh, we've seen, I remember uh, Sarah Jessica Parker was interesting, finding out about her story. Um, I think they did Oprah, we watched it a super long time ago. They've done more recently John Cryer and Molly Ringwald, and um, I haven't seen all of them, but it's kind of fun to watch how a person became who they are, uh, their genealogy, their story, their lineage. And it's kind of interesting even um, with this series that you guys are going through to understand how you got to where you are. God saves, a couple weeks ago or at the beginning of the series, God saves the listener and God saves the doubter. And then 
Um, last week, God saves the fatherless. You're, my, my friend and coworker Sergio Rizzo was here and talked about God saves the fatherless. And we're going to kind of get into a little genealogy today, if you will, uh, as we talk about God saves the family. You can't talk about a family without talking about a family tree and some genealogy. And so we're going to look at the life and story of Timothy. If you want to open your Bibles, you can open them to um, Acts chapter 16, is where we're going to kind of focus most of our attention. Uh, we'll bounce back to Acts chapter 13. We'll bounce ahead to 2 Timothy at one point. But Acts chapter 16 is really where we're going to look at the story, the genealogy of this man, Timothy, in the New Testament. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 say this, Paul went to Derbe and Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. This is our introduction to this man, Timothy. He is from this town, Lystra, or Lystra. I don't know if there's any Greek experts in the room, but it's one of those two. I go with Lystra. Uh, it's easier for me to say. So he's from this town, Lystra, which is in kind of the area, the province, the region of Galatia. And there's several different towns. They list Iconium and Derby, and all these are kind of small towns, small villages in this area called Galatia. We're familiar with that term because there's a book in the Bible called Galatians that Paul wrote to the churches in that area. It's in modern-day Turkey, if you need to put it on a map somewhere. That's where that is. You've got sort of the Mediterranean Sea, and Israel is down here on this part. And Paul uh, traveled at some points up through Antioch, which is north of Israel, and then to the west and through Galatia and to these towns. And as a matter of fact, that's where he would have met Timothy on his first missionary journey, going through that part of the world. If you want to, like I said, flip back a page or two to Acts chapter 13. And we'll pick up in, and I'm going to tell some of the story and read some of the story, but Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, and they're in the town of Antioch. And they preach the gospel there, and some of the people believe, and some of the people don't, and so they kind of get run out of town there in Antioch. There are some people who aren't very happy with the message that they're preaching. We'll find throughout this story that it's usually the Jewish people who aren't very happy with this message. These are people, the Jews, the Jewish people in this region at this time. Uh, many of them may have started out in Israel, in Jerusalem, and, and in the country of Israel. And after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, then the Romans kind of got involved, and they started persecuting the Jews, and so they spread out. And so we see a lot of Jewish people all kind of throughout that part of the world at the time. And these are people that are, they believe in the Old Testament. They believe in Yahweh, Jehovah. They've got the, the Ten Commandments and the law and the history and all the prophets and all the kings. And so these are people who know that a Messiah is coming, but they don't think Jesus was the Messiah. And so when Paul comes and says, Jesus is the Messiah, they get their feathers ruffled <laughs> and they cause problems. And that's what happened in Antioch. And then so picking up uh, there, Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch. And in, they enter this city called Iconium. It says, in Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue, as usual, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews, so again, these are people who believed in that a Messiah was coming, but they didn't believe Jesus was that Messiah. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas stayed there a long time. <laughs> 
They encountered opposition, people who didn't believe in their message, so they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. They performed miracles. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra, Timothy's hometown, and Derby, and to the surrounding countryside, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And I need you to understand, these towns are relatively close by. So if Paul and Barnabas stayed in Iconium for a long time preaching the message, word would have begin, begun to spread to Lystra and Derby and the countryside around there. And maybe Timothy and his family began hearing about this guy, Paul. And then soon enough, he shows up at their town in the town of Lystra. And I'm going to skip some here. You can read this in your, in your Bible there in Acts 14. Uh, they begin to preach, and God accompanies their preaching with miracles. And the people of Lystra think that they're gods, literally. They start calling Paul Zeus. And they start calling Barnabas Hermes, two Roman Greek gods at the time. And Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 we're not them. Don't call us that. We are telling you about the God. We're just men. And then in chapter nine, uh, verse 19 of 14, it says, Some Jews came from Antioch, where they had already been, and from Iconium, where they had already been. And when they won the crowds over in Lystra, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples, the believers in his message gathered around them, he got up and went into town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. And I tell you all that background to tell you, and we know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says to Timothy in his letter to him, you know the persecution that I suffered when I was in Lystra. You, you were there. Can you, can you imagine being there. Have you ever been somewhere when something so incredible happened and you just it just marked your life? You look back on it and say, this was a, a turning point for me because this exciting thing happened. Uh, Dave mentioned I am the soccer coach at Ozark, and so I feel like I've been doing just research for the past week and a half, watching the World Cup. I feel like it's my responsibility. No one asked me to do that, but uh, I've been watching a tremendous amount of soccer. It's been fantastic. Um, Listen to a game on my phone on the way down here this morning. England won 6-1, which is crazy. But it's exciting for me because it reminds me of a time in 1994 when my brother and I and a couple friends from college packed up in the car and drove down to Dallas, Texas and watched a World Cup soccer game there. And it was so incredible. You're on the world stage. There's people from all different cultures and climates. We got to see... Um, uh, Argentina play against Bulgaria. It was a crazy great game in the group stage. This was uh, Argentina. It was Diego Maradona, his final uh, career, final trip to the World Cup, which was phenomenal. The Argentinian superstar playing against um, Stoichkov, who was the, uh, they called him the dagger, who was his nickname. He was a Belgian uh, phenom, incredible scorer. It was a great game. And I remember the sounds and the smells and the food and watching the game. And I was one of, what, 20, 30,000 people there that day. But I remember it vividly. And Timothy and his family were one of hundreds or thousands of people there in Lystra that got to hear Paul preach. He was just a face in the crowd until God reached out to him and tells us our first point for today, God can save any family. Just any old family, God can save them. 
You may think, oh, there's nothing special in my genealogy. There's no special degrees, special requirements. We haven't accomplished all that much. There's nothing unique or fancy about us. I don't know why God would want to save us. Well, he does want to save you, much like he did Timothy's family and got the message of the gospel into their lives and changed not only their lives, the life of their family, but he changed the life of the church and the life of the world because Timothy became a believer and then a partner in ministry with Paul. He later would go and accompany Paul on his second and third missionary journeys, and he went to cities and towns in that area and planted churches and spread the gospel. God can save any family. He can save your family. And not only that, it sort of bleeds right into the second point. If God can save any family, then necessarily or consequentially, he can save any family dynamic. God can save any family dynamic. Let's look again at the story of Timothy. Go back to chapter 16 of Acts, the first verse. In Lystra there was a man, Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was Greek. Or if you're looking at the New International Version, it says it this way, of Timothy, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. It doesn't take a whole lot to read between the lines here, and we pick up right away. This is a mixed faith family. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Mom who believes, not only believes in Jesus, but was Jewish, had that Jewish background that went back for generations and generations and brings all that to a family and then marries an unbelieving man. So we have a mixed faith family. We don't know. This is the only mention of Timothy's dad. We don't know if he was an atheist or an agnostic or probably more than likely sort of a polytheistic Greek culture. They worshiped false gods. Maybe he was one of the people that was calling Paul Zeus because he thought Zeus was one of the gods of many. We don't know, but we can speculate that it would have been a difficult family to grow up in. And like I said, some of you can relate to that. Not only is it a mixed faith background, this is a Jewish woman and a Greek man. This is an interracial family. This is a family of mixed races, people from two different cultures who got married and tried to join all that together. And again, we'd have to speculate, but some of you can relate. It's tricky when maybe families don't get along, don't agree, don't do things in the same sorts of ways, there would have been a stigma associated with this. And to endure criticism and judgmental looks, they went outside the lines of acceptable family dynamics in that culture. And maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe it makes some of you uncomfortable. But we need to learn from the message of Timothy that God can save any family dynamic. And like I said, we don't really know a whole lot about Timothy's dad. Uh, it's possible that he died. So his mom would have been a widow. We don't know much about him because he wasn't around. So maybe she was a widow and a single mom. And that's a whole different family dynamic. Maybe he was there and just never a believer, never supportive. Whatever the case may be, Timothy did not have the pristine family dynamic. He did not grow up in a simple and straightforward home, from what we can tell. And again, we're speculating a little bit. But we can read between the lines. It would have been tricky. I would imagine, I don't know for sure, but uh, Brian Jennings and I went to school with a guy 
named uh, Caleb Kaltenbach. And I don't know if Brian's ever mentioned him, or maybe he hasn't been here to speak. I'm not sure. You might know his story. Let me repeat it real quickly. Uh, he was born, and then his parents early in his life divorced. And both of them then entered into homosexual relationships. Caleb grew up in the home with his mom and her lesbian partner, who then later became his wife. And he went to gay nightclubs and bars and hung out in that culture. And he thought that was normal. He thought that was the way to be. And in high school, at some point, he went to a church mostly so that he could make fun of the Christians there and find out just how bigoted they were. And instead of that, he found the love of God. And he encountered Jesus and he gave his life to Jesus, went to Ozark with us. Now he's married and he has kids, and he has a phenomenal ministry to a part of the country and a, a demographic that, that I will never be able to speak into. And if you want to hear more about it, and if you don't already know, you can go pick up his book, Messy Grace. I promise I don't get a cut from that. <laughs> I wish I did. Um, but a powerful story of God rescuing a man out of a crazy family dynamic to do powerful work in the ministry. And at Ozark, even now, we see students that come from every possible hurt and hardship, from abuse and addictions, broken homes, like Timothy, some mixed faith backgrounds, some unsupportive families, some interracial families, and all the dynamics, anything you can imagine. And we have students there that are growing out of that, that are answering God's call on their life, to come into salvation and then to go into the world and take the message of the good news. The dynamic of your family could be strained or confused or just downright dysfunctional. And I want you to hear from the story of Timothy, God can save any family dynamic. <laughs> and maybe that's yours, or maybe it's your neighbors or your coworkers or the people on your ball team that need to hear the message that no family dynamic is too far for God to reach into. So God can save any family. Therefore, he can save any family dynamic. And the last quick little point I'll make, and then we'll get into some application. God can save any generation. God can save any generation. Like I said, if you want to flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is the letter, one of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. They had gone on some missionary journeys together, and a couple times Paul leaves Timothy in a city and says, stay here and keep growing this church and discipling the people there. And Paul moved on to a different church, and then he wrote letters back to Timothy. And we see these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. There's a close bond there. Remember, Timothy didn't have a dad in the faith. His dad was not a believer, and maybe Paul assumed that role in his family. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank my God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did. So we get a little family talk in here again. When I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may filled with joy. And then verse 5, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, grandmother Lois. Push pause. <laughs> a Jewish woman, possibly a widow. Again, it doesn't say anything about her husband. So maybe she's a, a widow, an aging Jewish woman living in Lystra. Again, I don't want to read between the lines too much or draw too much out of this, but it's not a stretch to say that maybe Lois was among the first believers of Paul's message when he preached there 
in Lystra. Maybe she was among the very first crowd that said, this sounds right and true, and I believe in Jesus. That would have been memorable and meaningful for Paul, one of his first converts in this town. And that began the faith journey for this story. It began in your grandmother, Lois, and then he says, and then in your mother, Eunice. Again, another Jewish woman with a, without the support of her husband who came to faith in Paul's, because of Paul's message, came to faith in Jesus because of what Paul was saying. This is profound and meaningful. And then the end of that verse, it says, and I am now convinced is also in you. The third generation from this family to believe in the gospel message. I don't doubt that many of you are praying for people in your family tree. <laughs> Maybe it's for your spouse. Maybe it's for your kids who have wandered away from the faith that you tried to bring them up then. Maybe it's grandkids who haven't yet accepted the message of Jesus. We understand this, and hopefully it's encouraging that God can save any generation. And the message of Timothy is don't give up. If you're praying and you're hoping that the message of Jesus gets to someone and you're further down the family tree or even further up the family tree, <laughs> maybe you've got parents or older brothers and sisters that you want to believe the message of Jesus, don't, don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit believing. Don't quit praying and pleading. Don't quit living your example of faith in a way that they can see because God can save any generation. So the question is, how? What's the application for us? How does God do this? Well, first of all, uh, the Sunday school answered Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is our salvation. Jesus saves the family. His work on the cross and defeat of death and the grave brings salvation to anybody who accepts it. Jesus saves families. But Jesus saves families. God saves families. Here's my dominant thought. If you remember one thing, remember this. God saves the family through faithful generations. We see it time and time and time again in the Bible. God saves the family through faithful generations. Some of you have faithful generations to look back on. You've got great-grandparents and grandparents and parents who brought you up to know Jesus. Be thankful for those people. Praise God for those people in your lives. Be so grateful that you have that and continue in the current of salvation that they began for you. Others of you, like Lois and Eunice and Timothy, you're the first faithful limb in your family tree for who knows how long. <laughs> you're trailblazers. You're charting a new course. And my message to you would be, keep it up. The way forward for you is the way to continue God's mercy and grace and salvation in your story, in your genealogy, is through faithfulness to him. It's impossible to preach about this kind of stuff without going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm going to read a chunk of it. This is Moses's kind of final sermon. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses's final message to the people of Israel before he goes to heaven. And he says, starting in verse 1, and I'll go quickly, this is the command, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life. By keeping all his statutes and commands, I am giving you, your son, and your grandson. These commands are to be passed down 
so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of your ancestors, and think with me for a minute, this is Moses who's thinking back to his ancestors, to Abraham, to whom the covenant was given, and his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, and his son Joseph, who went into Egypt, and for 400 years, the family continued there until a, man, a woman gives birth to a son named Aaron and a son named Moses. We look back on Moses as one of our ancestors of faith, but he had ancestors to look back on because God had made a promise to them. And then we find verse 4, one of the favorite ones in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to whom? To your children. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And let them be symbols on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house where your kids go in and out, in and out, in and out all day, every day. Jewish families got a little thing, they called it a mezuzah, and it's a, they would take this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and write it on a scroll and attach it to, literally to the door frames of their house. We have one on our door frame in our apartment in the dorm, and without fail, Ozark students, college students walk in and say, what is this? Because it's at an angle, it's supposed to be, I don't know why, but they're like, they try to fix it, and like, What's, what is this? And then we get to tell them in verse 20, he goes on to say, when your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? You tell him, you tell him or her, you tell them about God's faithfulness. You tell them the story of how God saved you and how God saved your family. You tell them that God can and will save their families too if they believe in Jesus and continue in faithfulness to him. You tell them. <laughs> That's the application for today. God saves families through faithful generations of people who are willing to tell the next generation. Timothy joined Paul after he became a convert. He joined Paul in his missionary journeys, spreading the good news around the world. And that's our task as well. When God's grace gets a hold of you and gets a hold of your family, you tell the world about it. You share that message with every person and with every family that you can find. Because God can save any family. He can save their family. He can save any family dynamic. And he can save any generation. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your grace that's available to us in Jesus Christ. We don't want to make an idol out of families this morning. We want to lift Jesus higher. Thank you so much that salvation is available through him to anyone who seeks it. But God, I thank you for the powerful message of grace and love that is presented through faithful families. Help us to hear, help us to be encouraged, help us to be motivated, God, to take this message to the families all around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing a song of invitation.
And there's a couple options for you today. There might be some people here who are ready to begin their faith journey for themselves. You've heard the message of Jesus. Hear me say today, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and he wants to save you. And if you want to be a part of that family today, the family of faith, you can come forward as we sing. Maybe you need to recommit as a family leader. Maybe a grandma or a grandpa, a dad or a mom, maybe the husband or wife of an unbelieving spouse, and you want to recommit today to carrying this generation forward by being faithful in your own lives. If you're ready to carry, to commit to carrying the torch of faithfulness to future generations, you can make that commitment today. As a church family, Highland Park is a powerful church family. You have profound opportunities to impact the families around you. And I know Brian, and from talking to him, this is a message and a drum that he beats over and over, so let me beat it for him. (laughs) You have significant opportunities to witness to broken and dysfunctional and hurt families within just a few miles of this stage right here. Will you, as a church family, commit to taking this message forward, to living faithfully to Jesus and sharing the message that you've received with families in this area. Go ahead and stand up, and we're going to sing. And if you have a decision, please make it today.